from Relay FM. This is Connected, episode 422. That's a lot of episodes. Today's show is brought to you by our excellent sponsors, uh, Squarespace Hover and ExpressVPN. I'm Federico Viticci, and it's my absolute pleasure to be joined on this very fine day by my co-host from the United States of America, Mr. Stephen Hackett. Hello, Stephen. Hello, Federico. How are you today? I am doing fantastic. How about you? I'm good. How, how's, uh, how are you in, in the pod cabin? How are things over there? It's calendars everywhere, man. <laughs> Just everywhere. <laughs> calendars everywhere? <laughs> how many have you sent out already? Uh, I've sent out about 700. Ooh. And I've got about 500 left. So I'm a little over halfway through. How, how are you? What are techniques not to lose your mind when doing this? Well, I've so I've had a good friend of mine, Ian, who's listening. Hi, Ian. Uh, Ian has been helping me in the evenings. Okay. Uh, a couple evenings a week packing. So part of it is having someone else here to talk to, right? Okay. Right. If it's <laughs> if it's just me, I'll listen to a podcast or you know watch something on YouTube. Uh, just got to keep your mind busy because it's it's not a lot of thinking, right? It's just kind of like reading what goes in the envelope, packing it, closing it up, printing the label nights that I've helped or if someone else was helping me, we've done it in batches. So like last night we packed a hundred identical packages of one calendar and one set of stickers. And then we like taped all those up and I could print those labels in mass. And so you find little efficiencies as you go. Great point on the, on the listening to a podcast. I think that's something that I've, uh, it may sound obvious, but like it's something that I've been appreciating uh, lately a lot, like having voices to keep you company when you're doing something that is extremely boring. For example, uh, we spent the past two days at our new place. Um, we had to clean some of the rooms with this, I think it's called like buffered acid it's hmm. like a, a like a, an acidic solution that removes like stuff that is left over from from you know construction so like uh paint you know uh little drops of cock yeah all that kind of stuff and they told us like look the best way to do that is to go buy some like buffered acid and dil- dilute it a, a little bit in water and you know put a mask on and have fun and that took me a while and so even like a couple of days ago, I listened to an entire... No, I finished an episode of Upgrade. I listened to another episode of Upgrade. I finished the latest episode of Cortex, and I was still working on it. <laughs> and I was like, man, it's first of all, it's nice, you know, to 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 just do this, and you know, you you you're list, you're doing two things at the same time, but also AirPods Pro, like. That was like four hours of, of just listening to audio and they were totally fine. Podcast we, we just talked about blogging in the in the pre-show for Connected Pro members. But uh, I guess we should also appreciate podcasting as, you know, especially the kind of podcasting where you can listen to and sign up everywhere on any platform you want. I guess uh, this is a appreciation time for RSS feeds today. <laughs> They're holding the whole place together. Uh, you may notice that we are without Mike Hurley this week. Uh, Mike and Adina are. Oh yeah, that guy. Are, you just you just admitted to listening to four hours of his podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He it's... and Adina are moving this week, uh, so we gave him the week off so he could focus on that. Uh, so I would say um, maybe on Twitter send him uh, a tweet with the box emoji in it. Or yeah, no, no, the the, the box emoji is fine. Yeah. Uh, do you think Mike listened to us? 
I just spoke about listening to Mike for many, many hours. Mm -hmm. Do you think he listens to us while he's doing the new house stuff? I hope so. Maybe. I hope so. Mm. You would think. Mm. I mean, we just had a, an MPU episode about Ventura, so maybe he's listening to me and David talk about that. All right, so we have proper follow-up, I think, Stephen. We, we do. Okay. Um, and, and the first follow-up item is... By courtesy of Mac Rumors, who uh, just a few days ago received what I believe has to be one of the shortest statements that Apple PR ever sent out. Uh, I don't remember, uh, did we cover on last week's episode of Connected the gambling ads on the App Store? I think we did. I think we, we spoke about the briefly, maybe? I think we did. I'm trying to look through our notes from last week. Yeah, but anyway, we, I think we spoke about the new yes, we did. ad slots. Yeah, because I'm again, I'm so confused because I know that Mike and Jason also covered the topic on upgrades. So I was like, wait, did I hear this on upgrade or did I also speak about this? But yes, we spoke about the new uh, ad slots on the App Store, on the Today page, and on the product pages, more specifically about how so many of those product pages, the first result in the you might also like section was an ad typically for gambling apps, for online casinos, but also adult live chats and psychic apps, uh, you know, all kinds of uh, questionable uh, utilities from the app store. Mm -hmm. A few days ago, Apple sent out a, sent a statement to Mac Rumors. Uh, congrats, Joe Rossignol, for getting the statement from, from Apple PR, saying, we have paused ads related to gambling and a few other categories on App Store product pages. Wow. That's the statement. <laughs> we, have paused, we have paused the ads related to gambling and a few other categories. So, yeah, that's uh, took Apple. Well, I guess, first of all, uh, kudos to Apple for doing this in, in less than... 24 hours. What's going to happen next? We have no idea at the moment, I think. It's unknown. I mean, are they going to to backtrack on this? What is it going to look like? On the newest episode of the talk show, episode 361, you joined uh, John Gruber and y'all talked about this for a while and the different uh, the different paths Apple could take to to walk this back? Like, do they remove some of those ad types like in the you might like mm -hmm. section? Or are they just going to have rules around what isn't allowed, right? What types of ads? That seems like a slippery slope to me. Like, how do you... I mean, there's so much about the App Store rules that are a slippery slope, but... Yeah, exactly. I just uh, I just don't know what that, what that looks like. I mean, I'm glad they paused it, and I agree with you. It's good they did it quickly. Maybe they were surprised by it. I kind of think they probably were, but they shouldn't have been. That That's really my concern. Like, if this surprised Apple about the types of ads that won all those bids and got all those ad spots, they're surprised by the type of application developers who would do that, the type of companies that would, would have that kind of money to throw around, then they clearly are in over their heads when it comes to any meaningful advertising product. And hopefully this is a, a wake-up call to those folks. Yeah, and it's it seems so strange to have this tension within the same company. That the same company is effectively trying to have it both ways. They're trying to say, well, we think the modern style of advertising on the web is, you know, uh, not great, and that's why we're gonna offer 
users' tools to, you know, directly limit that kind of personally identifiable advertising because those ads, you know, are creepy. They're not great. We don't think they make for a good experience, which I agree with. And that that approach from a technological perspective and ethical perspective seems to be directly aligned, you know, with Apple's interests and the sort of image that they want to present of the company. But at the same time, the same company, when it comes to growing services revenue on the App Store, they're like, well, but what if these ads, no, 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 these ads are good. They're not like the creepy ads on the web. These are the better ads. And I just feel like maybe it wouldn't be nicer to just say, you know, no ads at all. There's really no good, because if you allow more relevant ads, that's the problem, which is, you know, it's really, and it's kind of an ironic problem to have, because if you allow more personalized and relevant ads on the App Store, it's very likely that unless you are really into gambling and adult live chats and whatever, you're not going to see those types of you know, shady ads, you're going to see actually relevant ads, right? So if, for example, if I open Overcast, maybe I will see an ad for a competing podcast client. Or if I open a text editor, I will see something about automation because I'm that kind of user. But you, if you do that, then you run into the problem of, of, of people saying, well, you're going to limit relevant ads on the web because they don't benefit you but on the app store you're gonna allow them so apple is like well okay uh, what if we just don't make the ads relevant so our message is consistent but in return those ads suck (laughs) and they're not relevant to you at all and we're just gonna leave them open to companies outbidding each other and therefore the company with the most money is gonna be the company with all the ad slots displayed to users on the app store And that's not a great experience either because those ads are not relevant and all the companies with deep pockets are the shadiest companies around. Therefore, this is not, you know, exactly Apple-like either. So maybe the solution was to just say, you know what, no ads. (laughs) We're just, we're going to go and we're going to try and find ways to make money in other ways. And ultimately, I just have to agree with Mike with something he said last week on the show and something he said on on Upgrade. Why is this necessary? Like, was this really necessary? I mean, I get it that you're trying to show Wall Street the message of like, well, no, 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 our services revenue is still growing in places, even though it's actually declining on a year-over-year basis. But still, like, I get the impetus to do this. But the final product, I mean, come on, just look at it. It's it's terrible. It's really disappointing to, to see them go down this road and... I agree with you about the the tension that is within Apple over this. And I'm sure there are lots of people at Apple who would agree with us who really hate the fact that this is going on. Mm-hmm. I think so. Uh, I, I'm positive. And, and I get that. And I hope that they find um, some sort of, of middle ground that everybody's comfortable with. I mean, for me, I, I don't love ads in the App Store. I'd, be, I'd rather there not be there. But for me, the, the one that's the most egregious are ads at the bottom of the developer's product page under the other apps you may like. I mean, that algorithm of the, the, the native suggestions is already pretty bad, but having an ad there feels especially gross because that's the one little sliver of the app store that a, that a, that an app developer has to 
to showcase their work and having an ad on that from someone else that they don't get any money from just seems, seems wrong to me, regardless of Apple's size or what we may feel about them. It just seems plain wrong. Yeah. Let's switch gears a little bit. Uh, I want to tell you about the Apple, Apple watch ultra trail loop band. Okay. I picked up my Apple watch ultra with the standard, Alpine band, which is like the bright orange one with a little like S hook in it to uh, to clasp. And it was really comfortable, but I found myself kind of in between sizes. And also the bright orange was just, it's a lot to contend with every day. Sometimes it's great. Other times it's just, uh, it's just too much. And so I've, I picked up the white ocean band, which I, I like a lot, uh, but I've wanted to try the trail loop as well, especially for uh, for sleep tracking because the, the ocean band being like a rubbery band, you know, sometimes it gets hot, you know, if you're sleeping or like, you know, sometimes it's comfortable when you go to bed, but it's like too tight or too loose when you, uh, when you wake up. And so Mm. I, uh, I, I just happened to be perusing the Apple store app for something else. I was like, Oh, I wonder if that band's in stock at my local store. And sure enough, it was. And so I picked up one, the black and gray with the orange tab. Mm. Oh, that looks good. They have a couple different colors. They, they got yellow beige. Nothing makes me want to buy something more except having beige in the name. And then there's blue and gray, and then there's the black and gray. And like a bunch of the other bands that are fabric-y, like one side of the band is one color, and the other kind of rail, if you will, the other, the other side is a different color. But I don't mind it so much on this because the black and gray is really pretty similar. Yeah, the black and gray one, it looks fantastic. And what's, what's the name of the little orange thing? Like the the pull, t- what's it called? Yeah, like I the, forget the what little... it said in the literature. Basically, it's a pull tab. Uh, so you yeah, can, a like, pull tab. Yeah. yeah. So what's interesting about this, unlike the um, the other fabric bands, the, what is it, the Sport Loop? I'm trying to find the official name. Uh, mm, sport Loop. Yeah. Sport Band. I think it's... Sport loop, yes. Sport, sport loop. Sport yeah. loop. So the the sport loop, it's the way it's supposed to work is it doubles over. So if if your if your watch is on your left hand and you're looking down at it, the excess band would be on towards you, and then the tab is pointed away from you, like around the outside of mm. your wrist, if that makes sense. And yep. this one. Apple's directions have it opposite, so the tab faces you. And I think the reason that is there is, like, maybe so it's less likely to get snagged on something, uh, maybe when, you know, you're doing extreme things. But I found it weird, because I've worn a sport loop on my uh, Series 7, again, for sleep tracking, and it was, like, very strange that this one went the other way. And I also just didn't like the tab facing me. I kind of liked it on the outside a little bit more, and so... I switched it around from what Apple's directions say, and it's totally fine. It totally works either direction. And I got to say, it is super comfortable. It is thinner than the Sport Loop. Like, it's not really, you know, the Sport Loop is kind of like a woven feel. This is not that. This is way thinner than a Sport Loop, way lighter weight. And I think it's really comfortable. Of course, you have the fine grain control of just Velcro to put it wherever you want it. But it is, it's really soft, and I think maybe even, it's a, it's a, got a little bit of a stretch to it, too. It's really nice. I've been, uh, it's only been a few days, but I've been really happy with it so far. I really like the look of this. 
And it should be, oh, but hold, no, this is not going to be compatible with my Apple Watch, is it? Most of these are. Compatibility, 44, 45, and 49 millimeter. All right. Okay, so I can use it. Hmm. Yeah, man. This looks really nice. I never liked the sport loops. I have one of those beige and yellow sport loops, I think. Mm-hmm. Not really a fan of the, of the of the beige also because it gets super dirty super quickly. Yeah, and you always end up washing the thing, uh, which I just don't like the look. Um, but this new one with that little orange detail, it looks really nice. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's still a fabric strap. So you know, the sport loop is kind of like the sweatpants of the Apple Watch. Like this is a little bit that too. I think it's a little bit nicer looking than than the sport loop. But if I were gonna and I wear this to like a nice meeting, you know, I may dress it up a little bit, but it's super comfortable. And I think if, uh, I think it will hold up better because it's that darker color. Um, even the orange Alpine loop, there've been pictures online and like David Sparks has had it where it looks really dirty just because it's a brighter, lighter color. And that's inevitable with something light where like your watch is just going to get dirty, right? You can't, you can't really avoid that. Right. Having a darker band really helps with that. And I think that it uh, would look better over time because of it. This episode of Connected is brought to you by Squarespace. It's the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. With Squarespace, you can stand out with a beautiful website, engage with your audience, sell anything, product, services, even content. With Squarespace, you can sell products in that online store. They have all the tools you need to start selling online. So you're not you're not tying a bunch of different services together. They have all the tools you need un, under one roof. And the same thing goes for emails. If you want to send emails to visitors, to customers, to subscribers, it's really easy. You start with their template and you customize it to match your brand and website. And their built-in analytics measure the impact of each and every email sent. Those analytic tools, of course, of course, they extend to the website as well. So you can see where traffic is coming from, see what you may need to optimize or change. I love the flexibility of Squarespace. I know I've mentioned this before. I built my brother's nonprofit site on Squarespace, and they use a, a, a different partner for donations to their nonprofit. And they had updated their forms. So I needed to go into the Squarespace site and get the forms embedded. And it was really really easy to to do that and do it in a way I know that's safe and secure. Head on over to squarespace.com slash connected for a free trial. There's no credit card required. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code connected to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain name. Once again, that's squarespace.com slash connected and the code connected for 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for the show. There was a story last week about iCloud.com, mm-hmm. a website, honestly, Federico, that I forget exists all the time. Well, yeah, it's, it's still out there, and, and there's even a beta version of it now. So Yeah, that's what I want to talk to you about. So beta.icloud.com uh, is now live, and it has a lot of the features that iCloud.com has had for a while. I want to talk through those in a minute. I got to say, I really 
like this design. Me too. And like I was thinking about it, I was taking a look at the screenshots uh, that we had on the site. And I was like, well, this reminds me of something. And I can't quite put my finger on it, but what is it? And I realized today, oh, this is like the iPad home screen. But on the web, you have your medium size widgets and the Excel widgets. And it's just like, what if iCloud.com was your personal dashboard and you had Apple calls them tiles, I believe? But these are widgets. These are the, and I, I, and I actually think they even have the same features and look of, of the iPad OS widget. Actually, I may be wrong there because I don't think that a Notes Excel widget exists on iPadOS on the home screen. It does on iCloud.com. So you have a really nice rectangular Notes widget that shows you your recently uh, edited notes in two columns, which is very nice. But yeah, this feels like having an iPad home screen on the web that you can customize and add all the little modules that you want, choosing from the compatible web versions of iCloud apps. It's, uh, I think it looks really nice. There's an element here where you can rearrange the sections of it or hide things you don't use. And when you go into that mode, all the little widgets like enter jiggle mode, like they do on the iPhone. Mm-hmm. I can just imagine the meeting where some manager is tells some poor web developer, Okay, Yeah. when they edit the widgets, they're going to do this. And he whips his phone out, like puts his phone in juggle mode. But it, it just, it made me laugh. I was like, oh, this little bit of whimsy is now carried on to iCloud. And as someone pointed out in the in the Discord, Apple has used beta.icloud.com before. Because iCloud's been through a couple of redesigns. Yeah, yeah. iCloud launched what, with iOS 5? Yes. I think that's right. I think you're yeah, right. Yeah, so it was like linen and dark and moody for a long time, and then it's you know changed as Apple's designs have changed. I remember when they rolled out, and and, and uh, that's right, the beta website has been around for a while. I remember when they rolled out the metallic identity for iCloud.com, and they had that shiny sort of brushed metal logo I'm not kidding. They had that sort of metallic logo and the logo had a like a, a light reflection on it and depending on like how you moved your cursor the reflection would move or something. Do you remember this? Then they had that I that, think I do. that that light effect on the steel cloud in the iCloud logo and it was actually quite nice looking. And then they did the thing couple of years after that with the uh, with the moving blobs of color i think mm-hmm. anyway it's been through various you know uh yes uh thank you zach for posting that's the logo that i meant on the on the discord uh they've been through various visual identities this new one has uh this uh bubble wallpaper very i would say tigery looking as a wallpaper right steven like the, 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 that, those blue bubbles in the background, kind of retro as a look. Yeah, I think it looks good. I think it's a very nice design with all the modules serving as both shortcuts to jump into those uh, full-on web apps, but also as a preview tool for the kind of content that you will find in there. I think this is, obviously this is going to be super nice to have well, maybe not super nice, but nice to have for folks who have a Windows machine, right? And you just want to check on your, or maybe you just have a Windows machine at work and you want to check on your iCloud stuff at work. Uh, now, it would still be preferable to, you know, ideally, 
Apple would make uh, Windows versions of everything. There will be a Windows app for reminders, a Windows app for uh, mail. Like, that's never going to happen, right? Apple's competitive advantage by and yeah, their competitive advantage is to have native apps on their own platform for everything. Still, this is a nice compromise. Apple has been working more closely with Microsoft. They just uh, three weeks ago, I believe, they announced Apple Music for Xbox and Windows, as well as the iCloud Photos integration. So, yeah, they've been doing things. Yeah, I'd like to see more of it. I mean, they seem more happy to extend their services to other platforms when it's content Mm -hmm. services. And I think they view iCloud differently than that. I think they think about iCloud as almost an extension of their, of their OSs, which means they sell hardware, which is a bummer, but I guess they don't want to reward people who have a, an iPhone and a PC, which is, which is dumb. I mean, iCloud for windows is very basic, but I would like to see those other services make it over there. Those other applications to make it over there. But at least they are all on the website. And that's been true for a long time where photos and iCloud Drive and notes and calendar and mail and reminders, all that stuff you can get to on the iCloud website. Uh, now in the, in the beta, they have also, well, this may have been there in the production one, but uh, it's at least it's more prominent now. You can get to HomeKit Secure Video. You can get to where you set up your custom email domains or learn about private relay, you know, kind of showing you more of those iCloud Plus features that they rolled out in the last couple of years. And you can also manage your storage. And that UI looks you know, very similar to what you have on the iPhone, iPad, and Mac, where you can see the breakdown of, okay, I got photos taking up this much space, et cetera, et cetera. If you're like me and you're an iCloud family, I can see how much space I take up versus how much my family takes up. And you can also do some data recovery on iCloud.com. It's very ham-fisted so like you can back up your entire contacts database but it doesn't tell you like what's in it it just tells you like the date and time of that backup and you can download it and restore it same thing with uh, uh, calendars and your safari data but you don't have data recovery for a bunch of the other things that now incorporate iCloud and I'd like to see, see Apple do more of that. I mean, right now it's kind of handled like in notes. You have, what is it, 30 day trash in notes. Same thing in photos. Yeah. So those are app centric right now. And I'd like to see Apple bring more of that to uh, these recovery tools. So you can feel more confident in having your data accessible to you in case something terrible happens. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Anyway, I really like, I really like the look of this. It's still kind of the the one thing I forgot to mention. The performance of this web app is still not fantastic. Mm-mm. It's still kind of slow and clunky to use. You know, when, like, I don't know, I feel like I'm now used to web apps that are super snappy to use, like switching between even complex projects, like in things like Notion, for example, or in the web client for craft, like switching between different things and different sections and pages is usually snappy. Here, it feels like there's a, you know, there's a person on the other hand, just slowly cranking away the other web app that you want to open, like, hey, let me open that for you. And it's like, it takes you five seconds to move between places. So I don't know. Still not not fantastic but Mm -hmm. it's it looks nice 
and it's better than nothing, I guess, which is not high praise, but still, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, so I just loaded it up. It is slow. That's been true forever. It's I, slow. I mean, I remember when they announced Mobile Me, Phil Schiller was like, we built a website that feels like an app, and that's still the way they think about it. Yeah. I loaded up notes, two things. My notebooks are in the wrong, or my folders are in the wrong order on the web, so I'm afraid to open notes on my computer and that sort be wrong. But it does sync the recently deleted, and so I can recover those from there, but I guess you know you have to go into notes and maybe they could just make that more clear uh, around them. Also, I just want to read this to you. Notes are available here, being recently deleted, for 30 days. After that time, notes will be permanently deleted. This may take up to 40 days. So they don't even tell you how long you have to recover them. Why is, why is there a 10-day discrepancy there? Who knows? I have no idea. Also, as, as Mike points out in Discord, excellent copywriting. It's just confusing, let alone yes. kind of a bad thing. So yeah, so if you do use iCloud on the web, you know, a lot of people may have a PC at work, but they want access to their stuff. Uh, it's a little bit better for you now. So that's good. Uh, let me ask you, do you use the private relay thing on your devices? I do not. Yeah, me neither. Okay. Uh, no. <laughs> because I, feel, I, I remember that, that I tried it in beta and it kind of killed your internet speeds then i think it's it's it, it has since been fixed and i know a lot of people who use it uh, i just feel i don't know i just feel kind of weird about putting something in, in between me and my internet connection sure even though like i know plenty of folks who use one of those one of those content blockers for ads for example there are actually like a vpn that is always on like I I have a VPN uh, and I use a VPN, but it's more of like an on-demand type of thing. Like when I want to watch a TV show on HBO Max, for example, uh, and it and it we don't have that in Italy. That's when I use a VPN. But I know a lot of people who have these different kinds of VPNs always enabled. There are actually ad blockers or DNS filtering systems, right? Um, that are always enabled, always in between your device and your internet connection. And I don't know. I've had a couple of bad experiences with these things before and like web pages, they stop working uh, or I don't know, you get like sometimes like I'm using my bank's website, for example, and it's not working right. So I always end up second guessing the thing that I just enabled in between myself and my internet connection at home. And I'm like, yeah, maybe that's the culprit and maybe I should disable it. I want to talk a little bit about the new Mail app with mm, you. Okay. For the fir for the first time in a long time, Mail got a bunch of updates this year with uh, Remind Me and Follow Up, and they have a feature if you say that you attach something and you forgot it, that is, hey, you forgot an attachment. One of them in particular, though, has really just been killing me, and it's the feature where you... You mention a recipient. So say like I write an email, say Federico and John, comma, I love app stories, but I only include your email and say, hey, it looks like you mentioned this other guy. Do you need to add a recipient? And as far as I can tell, there's no way to turn this feature on and off. You can turn off the remind me, but not this one. And uh, it, it's, it's done a thing to me over the last uh, several days where the email address that's in my email signature, which I want to talk about in a second, uh, that triggers the add a, add a recipient error. Oh, no. So my email ends with my name and then my email address underneath it. And 
every time I send a message, actually not even every time, most of the times I send a message, I get this pop-up saying, you may have missed a recipient. Do you want to add this person? And what it has pulled out is my own email address. This is just has blown my mind this made out the door first of all this is so dumb like i don't understand like and as you describe in your post like the what's even more ridiculous about it is that the system should know that's your signature because you saved it as a signature in the in the mail preferences mm-hmm. but but i think you mentioned this before can, can you explain to me again why you like having your email address in your signature, right. even though people can see your email address from the from field? So I do it for a couple of reasons. I tweeted an, a link to this article yesterday, and a bunch of people were like, you're an idiot for having your email. Okay, okay, whatever. Here's why I do it. I do it for two reasons. One, in the context that I email people professionally, it's pretty common practice to have your contact information at the bottom of an email. So if someone okay. needs to find something of yours... You know, they don't have to like go hit reply and like copy your message, your, you know, your address or something. It's just right there in the footer, right? It's very common in professional settings to do that. I don't put my phone number or anything because my phone number is not relevant to hardly any of my work, but my email address is and my title is for my relay email addresses, which is what I used in these screenshots, uh, which are now also on the front page of Mac Rumors, which is cool and kind of funny. Oh, wow. <laughs> I haven't gotten any weird emails yet, so we'll see if that, that, that happens. Uh, the the other reason is is more for me, and again, it may not be for you, but I have three email addresses. I have my personal Gmail. I have hackit.fm, which is like 512 pixels and any freelance I do, that sort of thing. And then I have my relay address, which is what's used the most often. And each of my signatures, I have my email address in there. I use it as a secondary check that I'm sending the right message from the right account. Because uh, with three accounts, it's pretty easy to mess that up. And, and mail makes it pretty easy. You can There's a from menu that you can choose from. But I like it as just like one last check that, okay, I'm sending this from the right place. And again, you may not care about those reasons, but I do. And uh, <laughs> this bug has me thinking maybe this isn't the way I should go. And like it's wild to me that it doesn't ignore the signature you know, the signature is just text, right? There's nothing special about the signature in Apple Mail. And some email apps, it's like a thing, like a separate HTML entity or like its own kind of separate thing. Mail just slaps it in the message, right? So it's just text. Like you can't pattern match what's in my signature uh, settings with, with what's in the message. Can't you just ignore my own email addresses in the recipient thing? And why can't I turn this feature off? Now, I want to leave it on because I think it's a useful feature, but... If it triggers every time I send an email to anybody, you know, it's not doing me very much good. On the topic of mail, something that I noticed that I also dislike, and I think it's more of a, not a bug, more of a decision, I think. I really like the remind me later feature to set off uh, emails for later so that, that, you know, you can snooze them basically and they appear at a later date and time. It's really nice. But the thing I discovered that I think are the one True John mentioned in his macOS Ventura review is that Remind Me Later does not work for uh, same box folders or any other mailbox that is not the inbox. Yeah, ridiculous. It's ridiculous because I feel I, I'm, I'm a longtime user of uh, the same Later and the same News folders. And then I, uh, I also have a custom folder 
that I call the sane betas, where all my test flight betas go into. And these are very nice ways to sort of um, filter your and automatically organize your uh, incoming email based on different criteria, right? And there are so many times where there's a newsletter in the uh, same news folder or a you know an email from you know um, a, a random reader that I you know I I don't want to promote to the full on inbox but I still want to make sure that I don't forget about it for later you just don't have the option mm-hmm. in those folders you just the, the button disappears and I think it's wrong and I don't understand why the way this feature should work take this message from any folder right? And let me set up a reminder. And when the message is quote unquote due again, put it again at the top of that folder. Like, I don't know, I don't know if this, this is a limitation of how Gmail integration works with Apple platforms, because technically these are labels, but they show up as folders in Apple Mail. I don't know if that's the issue here, but what I know is that I shouldn't be forced to keep everything in my inbox if I want to use the remind me later feature. It should work for any folder or label and surface again at a later date and time at the top of that folder. And right now it doesn't. And it's been like this for the whole summer, which makes me think this is a conscious, deliberate decision on Apple's part. And I think it's wrong. Yeah, I do too. I think I think that feature should be available in any mailbox. The the other kind of related feature to that is the the follow-up feature. So the setting says mail will remind you about messages that haven't received responses. So I email John about a sponsorship, but he doesn't email me back. And it, it like pop, pops up, you get a little follow-up badge next to it. I cannot understand the logic that mail uses to choose what should be followed up on. I just it, what it chooses for me to know about just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I I never I th- no, I think I had it work once a few weeks ago and it was totally random and I thought why why are you doing this like a it was probably incorrect or something and he never did it again. That's all that also feels like something where like maybe it would have been preferable to have some kind of manual check. Like maybe the way that I would have done it is don't try and be too clever about it yourself, but maybe put in a little checkbox or something like a little indicator when you're composing a message to someone where you can manually say, hey, I'm going to send this message now. Yes. But if I don't hear back in a few days, again, let me choose. Let me pick a date and time. If I don't hear back, show me this follow-up reminder. Maybe like the manual approach would have been so much easier and it would have saved you a lot of uh, (laughs) machine learning operations that are happening who knows where on your phone. Like, let me have a manual check to say, hey, if I don't hear back, Remind me, please. Like, follow-up reminder, yes. Otherwise, no. Just, you know, send this email out into the void and uh, who knows what's going to happen. But uh, I would have preferred the the manual option, I think. Me too. Uh, that would be an awesome setting. Uh, as it is, I've turned it off because, yeah. <laughs> again, it doesn't do what I expect it to do. And it's the only, as far as I can tell... It's the only of these new features that have any settings. Like the others, I can't find a way to turn 
uh, to turn them off. Uh, maybe I've just missed them going through the settings, but strange. And again, I'm glad. I'm so glad Mail is getting work. I just hope that they continue to to push this because there's other features that I would like to see, like snoozing, and there are some additional controls I would want over these these new things. Oh, let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. Mail, Safari, and Reminders. You can only keep two of these three apps, they're gonna, and they're going to receive annual attention and updates from Apple. W- which, one, which ones do you pick? I would keep Mail and Safari, probably. Mail and Safari. Because I feel like it's easier to find another task manager. Interesting. Well, that's true. I don't know. Uh, I would... Yeah, I will probably keep Safari and Reminders, I think. Because it's equally easy to find another email client. Yeah, I mean... Although, hmm, hmm. Yeah, on the Mac, yes. I mean, you got MimeStream, which is a really good alternative. That's a good question. I like that. <laughs> it's like, if you okay, if you go on a desert island, you know, you'll have three apps with you the rest of your life. What do you use, you know? Oh, well, that's a bigger question, though. Like, if you go on a desert island, then you can only... Well, that's a, that's also a great question. I'm gonna, I am gonna I want to play this game. So on a desert okay. island, three apps for the, less, for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. I assume you have an internet connection on the on the desert island. I think so, which does kind of make the the hypothetical to kind of dumb because <laughs> you could just like text somebody where you are. But <sighs> we'll, we'll play along. Uh, well, obviously, music. I would have said Marvis, but as it sounds now, the music app is the only one that shows you lyrics. So I'm gonna go with that music Safari because you, you know worst case scenario you, you're always gonna have a web browser. Yes. Uh, to use web versions of other things. Music Safari. The third one is interesting because like I could say shortcuts, but what good is shortcuts if you don't have other apps to automate? Right. Uh, I mean, time tracking doesn't make much sense because you're literally <laughs> on a desert island for the rest of your I life. Spent six <laughs> hours this week building shelter, two hours starting fire. <laughs> <laughs> one, one hour fighting vi- wild animals and trying to survive. Ah, <laughs> music, safari. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, no. I would have said camera because, yeah, you're going to take pictures. But, I mean, after a while, it's going to be the same island over and over. I, I think it's some sort of, like... Uh survival app mm. i don't know maybe there's an app that tells you like what kind of food what kind of plants you can eat and what kind of plants you can't eat but you still have a web browser oh that's true so keep that in mind like that web browser accounts for all of that plus youtube plus netflix plus you know the web version of discord like you can communicate with people it counts as an email client because you can use gmail on the web so what mm. is something that is like uh, not a web not a web browser and make sense on a desert island. Hmm. Huh. Maybe books. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yes. Books. You're going to have something to read. You don't have web versions of Apple Books and Kindle that work in Safari, I think. Yeah, I don't, I don't think. I think the important question that, that you didn't ask was like, what's the device that you have on the desert island? Is it iPhone, iPad, Mac or PC? Yeah, I kind of assumed iPhone. Like, it was just in your pocket when the plane crashed. iPhone, for the rest of your life, with just three apps on it. Yeah. And with an internet connection. Of course. Okay. Music, Safari, books. Sounds good to me. Yeah, because, I mean, yeah, sounds good to me because you can have reading list for articles. You're going to miss iMessage. Yeah. Still, you can use Twitter. 
if it's still around and you can uh, use other web clients, I guess. You can use FaceTime on the web. You can use FaceTime on the web. Yeah. Safari, books, uh, music. Hmm. Yeah, okay. I like it. <laughs> Sarva said DoorDash, TaskRabbit. <laughs> <laughs> no, they, they don't deliver to the desert islands. That's so. right, yeah. <laughs> Please uh, order some water from Walgreens and a life, uh, life raft. <laughs> Can you come <laughs> deliver them to me? <sighs> this episode of Connected is also brought to you by Hover, one of Relay FM's longest-running sponsors, which is really cool. So have you ever thought about starting your own business? Maybe you're thinking about starting uh, a blog or some other project. Well, a domain name is where you start, and Hover wants to help you take that first step in getting your idea off the ground. If you have a brand you've always dreamt about building or a business that you want to take online, the first step is finding that domain name. They make it super simple with a clear and straightforward user experience, easy-to-use tools, and truly amazing support from friendly humans. It's never too late to step up to the plate and share what you have to offer. Getting online has helped thousands of people around the world reach new heights with their businesses. We're talking about blogging in the pro show today, and uh, 512Pixel is a domain that I've owned for a really long time, and it's safe and secure at Hover. And when I first had the idea to, to rename the site, that's where I started, looking for domains. And their tools make it really easy to find exactly what you're looking for. Of course, they have .com, all the classics. Net. But you can also get extensions like .shop, .tech, .art. There's more than 400 to choose from, so you'll be able to find the perfect domain name for your business, one that's memorable, relevant, and boosts your brand. You can buy a domain, set up custom email boxes, and point it to your website in just a few clicks. And if you ever run into trouble, help is just a phone call or chat away. It's secure, simple, and reliable. Hover is trusted as a popular choice amongst millions of people launching any kind of brand or business. If you're ready to get your idea off the ground with the perfect domain name, head to hover.com connected to get 10% off your first Hover purchase. That's hover.com connected to get 10% off. Our thanks to Hover for their support of the show and Relay FM. I, well, I don't want to relitigate our choices, but some real-time follow-up. Amazon does have a Kindle web app, but we can't, we can't go back to the... We are off the desert island now. Okay. Okay, okay. Have you played with shared iCloud photo libraries yet? Oh, no, not, not <laughs> at all. I think this is the kind of feature that if I enable it and something goes wrong, Silvia is going to hate. Uh, I am not touching this for now. Uh, I leave that to you and John and other more courageous people than me <laughs> to test. So, but tell me about it. Uh, so I have been playing with it, and I've got some early thoughts about it. I think a lot of it is really good and well thought out. And I think in particular, the way you get photos into the shared library is pretty good. And so you set it up kind of like a shared note or shared reminder, right? You select who you want to have access to it, and they get a link. I just used iMessage, and just iMessaged Mary. I was like, hey, click, click that link on your phone. And... Uh, then they're in it. And that's the setup is very fast. And, you know, basically everyone starting this process is probably merging more than one library. So like in my case, my wife and I both have really big libraries and there's a lot of overlap. It's going to take me a long time to sort all that out. But Photos has a lot of really cool tools to help populate the shared library 
pretty uh, pretty easily. You can, of course, okay. manually move them. So you can select a bunch of photos and right-click on the Mac or in the uh, the little more menu on iOS and iPadOS and just say, move to shared library. And it's not like downloading and re-uploading them if they're coming from you. It's just very quick. And then they're in the shared library and the other person or people can see them. It also has sharing suggestions, which I think is probably the best way to get started, where photos will look at who's in the photo, photos of people that you've told it. So like in the in the mail, in the mail, in the Mac settings, the you mail. can just add people and say, I want suggestions based on this. So if I put Federico, if I put you in there. Any photos that it sees of you, it's going to suggest to me in a new section of photos called uh, sharing suggestions that, hey, there are these 400 pictures of Federico. You know, do you want to move them on to the shared library? And you can review all of them and like, you know, maybe I want to mm. uncheck some of them. Maybe some of them I don't want in the shared library for whatever reason. Pretty straightforward. And I think you could do a lot of bulk moving that way pretty quickly, especially if you've already kind of gone through your photo library and done all the faces stuff, which I've done a lot of over the years. You can also have the camera app save shots right into the shared library. So if you're on a trip and you say, okay, until we get home, we're just going to have this on and everything we take is going to end up in the shared library. You know, fantastic for family vacations and that sort of thing. You can have it suggest things based on participants that are nearby so like if you and sylvia are at the beach and you're both taking pictures and you haven't told it explicitly that you want to share things well after a little while the sharing suggestions will say oh hey y'all were together you know for this moment you know in, in the photos language uh do you want to add these to the shared library and then you can automatically have it add photos and videos taken at home, which I think is also pretty good, not for people like you or me who work from home necessarily, but right. say that you and your partner both work outside of the home. You know, if you're taking pictures at work, they won't end up there. But if you're at home in the evening together or whatever, those photos show up. So that all feels like a lot of vectors into this that when you overlap a couple of them, I would imagine that once people are kind of used to how this works, that you probably won't need much manual sharing in the future, maybe when you first set it up, but I could see down the road, okay, like basically this just kind of works the way I expect it to. And I think all that's honestly pretty good. Uh, do you have anything that like jumps out at you there that maybe you would like to see uh, some other factors there? Like, do you, or do you feel like they've kind of covered the main ones for how you would use this? Yeah, I think that covers all the all the different sort of scenarios in which I would like to share a photo with someone. Like, I think that's, yeah, I think that... I, I cannot think of other conditions or like filters for that. So yeah, that seems that sounds pretty good actually. I think they've also done a good job at helping you understand where a photo lives. And so in all the versions of photos you can select my library, shared library or combined. So you can see both your local library and the shared one together. For me, at least on the Mac and even iOS, that's basically an instant toggle. It's not like it has to like quit and like reload the library, it just like basically filters it very quickly. And that's pretty great. I think that's a really nice way, especially in the beginning, if you're doing like bulk moving, leave the view on just my library. And then when you move them to the shared one, they disappear, right? Because now they're in the, the view you're not looking at. And I think that's going to be a nice way as I, you know, continue to sort through these over the coming months to kind of keep tabs on what I've moved and what I haven't. Photos in the shared library pick up a little icon. So it's similar to like the iCloud family. It's like kind of two little 
figures. One's kind of shorter than the other up in the corner. Very similar to how they'll show, like, if it's a live photo or it's a video, you know, you kind of get that little, I guess it's like a status icon or, or like a uh, attribute icon. Very similar, so you can very quickly see at a glance. And you can turn that off if you don't want to see it. I've, I've left it on because it's, it's very minimal. It's not, you know, impacting my view of the photo in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can, um, or I guess one thing you need to, to, to know is about storage. So okay. it counts against the iCloud storage space of the person who initiated the shared photo library. So in my case, I initiated it. I shared it with Mary. So over time, my iCloud data usage will go up as she moves a lot of photos from her library into the shared one. Now, we're in an iCloud family, so it's kind of like rearranging water in the same bucket. Like, it doesn't matter to us because we're, you know, under the threshold of our account. Yes. But if you, you know, have issues with iCloud storage space and you want to adopt this, just know that you're going to be using more space. And so you may end up needing to bump up a tier, but maybe the other person can bump down. Um, It's just something to consider, right? Especially if you have really large photo libraries. For us, we're on the two terabyte iCloud plan and we have about 1.2 terabytes of data. And so I'm not worried about, about, you know, running out of room. But one thing I do need to keep an eye on, especially on my laptop, is local disk space because I have photos set to download all originals. And again, as the shared library grows, I will have more on my local disk. Now, I want that because I can back them up with Time Machine and Backblaze. But again, something to be mindful of is just that your concept of the usage of that you have in photos in terms of disk space and, and storage, that is going to change as you move forward with these uh, with these settings. And so for us, my iCloud usage will go up, Mary's will go down, our disk usage on our computers is both going to go up because we're going to be merging two really big photo libraries. And so, so something to keep an eye on, I think. Uh, interesting about the the storage counting against the 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 storage of the person who initiates the sharing. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, if I'm going to do this with... How many people can you do it with? Is it just another person? Um, I'm not sure. I think it's more than that. That you can share? But I know you can only be part of one at a time. It's like you couldn't have one with Sylvia. So, oh, yeah. And then some, you know, another one with like your mom. Right, because that's what that's what I was thinking. It doesn't have to be everyone in the family. So like Mary and I share one, but the kids don't have access to it. Yeah, I can't find quickly how many people can be in it. Maybe the Discord can tell us. Yeah, because if I'm going to do it, I think I'm going to do it with Sylvia. We are part of the same family sharing setup uh, on Apple platforms. So that should work pretty nicely basically what you and mary are doing yeah. um i think maybe doing what you did and just moving up uh, like like just a few photos initially uh instead of like i don't know 15 years of photos that's probably the right approach like just take a few of the recent ones from like the past three months or something and mm-hmm. see how well it works and over time you progressively you know start moving more and more things into it that's probably the way to go so I'm gonna I'm gonna consider it. Um, have you used um, the the control that you get in the camera app, so that when you are on a vacation together or something, and you f- you should see a button in the camera UI, and that photo uh, is taken and immediately added to the shared library. Have you found that to be useful in practice? We were back from our vacation uh, before this came out, but just in testing. 
it works great. I mean, I was just like just playing with it for the show, right? I turned it on and took a picture of my desk, right? It's like, oh, it showed up in the right library. I think that's going to be a really useful thing, though, because it's just like an ad hoc thing, right? Because maybe we're together and we don't want that. I mean, we do, but maybe not everyone does. And so I think for I think it's just about giving people the optionality to, to best fit their needs. Um, and some real-time follow-up, I found it. You can be in an iCloud shared photo library with five other people. So it's a total of, uh, of six, six people. And they have some stuff in here about um, when you join a shared library, your photo library database is backed up and stored for six months. So if you have some sort of mishap, you can, I guess, somehow <laughs> roll that back. I don't really know how that recovery works, but uh, I'll put a document in the show notes. People can can read about that. Where this falls down for me is in the organization of the shared library. So I use, you know, faces and places, and I don't use a lot of tags, but I got a handful of tags I'll use in my photo library. But the bulk of my organization takes place in albums. And that's like from, you know, the Aperture and even iPhoto days where a lot of these other features weren't there yet. And so I've got a bunch of albums and the, the internal logic of what's an album and what's not is not perfect, right? I have like a vacations folder, but then I also have some albums that are like specific vacations. Like it's a bit messy, but it's just kind of been there for a long time. And in the shared photo library, there are no albums. You can't create them. You can't move an album into a shared photo library. You can move its contents and all the other metadata comes over. So faces, places, tags, ratings, all that stuff comes over, but you cannot make an album in the shared photo library. And that is a bummer for me because that's been my workflow for years and years. Hmm. Now, Mary, on the other hand, has like three albums and like she just searches for everything. And, and I, you know, I, I, I'm torn on thinking, did Apple just not get to this and maybe we'll get it next year? Or do they think albums aren't the way to go anymore? And they want they think that the moments and the uh, all the other metadata is enough for most people. I don't know, but I wish I wish there were albums in the shared photo library. Uh, are you a big album user? Like, what's your kind of organization? I don't have any. <laughs> I just uh, keep everything in the like. I I don't use albums. I just uh, when I want to find something, I use search, and I search by person or by location or time. I I have never used uh, albums. I mean, I think that's where I'm headed because I really want to use shared photo library. The thing that kind of bugs me about, uh, maybe they'll fix this. This seems like a UI bug in, in the photos for Mac app. But if you move to the shared library, your albums still show up in the sidebar, but they're all grayed out. It's really weird. And I think ultimately what's going to happen is I probably will keep a handful of albums for like some work specific things in my personal library and then just rely on all the other metadata in the shared one. And I mean, I don't really have a choice there, but I just, I would love to know why this is what it is. Was it a, a decision made out of policy and like, this is where we think it's going or was it something they didn't get done? So it's not going to talk about it and we'll get it later. You just, don't, you just never know with Apple, right? We've talked about this in, with like shortcuts in particular, right? Like, mm -hmm. oh, it'd be great if we could do this or that. Well, do they not want it to or they just haven't gotten to it yet? Who knows? Who knows, right? I mean, it, it, you, there's no visibility into yeah. it. Yeah, 
it's hard to know if it was a decision or they ran out of time or it's a combination of the two. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I can tell you that Sylvia, traditionally, she like historically, she liked doing albums and carefully sort of uh, putting together these albums for like events or other things like I don't know, trip to Barcelona or something. She used to do this back in the days of iPhoto. I think her and like, I think she stopped doing this. And I also like my theory is that a bunch of other, uh, like a lot of, of other people did as well. When the photos app got the really good search mm-hmm. for location and times, like I think it, it became less important to carefully create an album and manually create an album for these uh, trips or life events because you can just find them, right? Um, When search is good enough, you can retrieve exactly what you're looking for. It kind of defeats the purpose of spending time manually creating an album. And, And so I think she stopped... I mean, I never, I never started, but she stopped doing it when she realized, oh, I can just search for photos and find the same stuff. Yeah, maybe they're just want everybody to get there. I mean, those other features are good, right? It's not like I've kept this up because I felt like it was too messy. Otherwise, it's just been something I've always done. I mean, way back, we talked about this on the prompt, like way back when I was using Dropbox as my photo library, right? Because that. For a while, for years, that's what I did. I had everything in Dropbox. And those folders basically became albums. And here we are 10 years later and Apple saying, well, you know what? Maybe you uh, maybe you don't need these after all. Yeah. I, found a, <laughs> I found a post that you just wrote. Tutorial, moving from iPhoto to Dropbox. Oh, that was... You want to uh, guess what year you wrote that in? 2012. 2012, baby. That's the kind of 2012 energy right there. When we and I used to have, I'll tell you this. I think at some point I used to have my personal Mac Mini server back at the in the days of Mac Mini Colo, now Mac Stadium. I used to have my own Mac Mini server that I've used for a bunch of things. One of those things was watching a Dropbox folder for incoming pictures, and I think I had a script like a Hazel thing that would. Uh, rename all those pictures and apply metadata to them so that I, I I basically built rebuilt my entire iPhoto photo library in Dropbox and I forgot the details of how this worked like how did it did those photos go from the camera app on the phone to Dropbox I don't remember but it was a very comp a very complicated setup that eventually I abandoned when uh, the photos app got decent. So, yeah, 2012, that's a weirder, weird times, you know, from back in the day before Everpix, Mm -hmm. before, remember Everpix? That was good. Yeah, Dropbox were... People in the Discord are (laughs) freaking out that iCloud Photo Library is now cursed because we've talked about it as a photo sharing service. Oh, no. The prompt curse. Oh. Our bad. Oh, no. Sorry, I forgot. Yeah, because for a long time... Uh, on the precursor to the show, we we talked about a lot of photo sharing services, and they had a tendency to go out of business after we talked about them. Sorry, Apple. That, that's that one's that one's on us. Our bad. Uh, but overall, I am excited about this feature, and um, I don't have like a full strategy to how to move everything into it. Still, like it's just going to be piece by piece. 
Yeah. But once it's all up and running, I think it's going to be really great because I know that she has photos that I don't have and vice versa that we want access to because well, we've all done it right for years. Right? Like you go on vacation and you airdrop the photos to each other. Maybe you forget or you miss some or like it's just it's just kind of a been a messy thing. And I'm hoping this can tidy it up. This episode of Connected is brought to you by ExpressVPN. You probably heard that using a VPN when you connect to the internet is something that you should do. It adds an extra step to anything uh, you do. And you may think, well, that sounds like a hassle. Well, with ExpressVPN, it's really easy. They have a awesome iOS app, awesome uh, menu bar app on the Mac. It makes it really easy to connect. And ExpressVPN by far is the fastest VPN I've ever used. And I have it on my laptop when I travel, I have it on my phone, and honestly can't tell it's running. It's so quick. I just know that I'm browsing more safely uh, and in a better fashion. They get rid of all the things you hate about VPNs. Like I said, it's blazing fast. Uh, they have this really smart technology where they figure out which connection point is the fastest. And it may not always be the closest, uh, but this means that you can stream video with no problems over ExpressVPN. You just open the app, you click one button, and enjoy that instant protection across all of your devices. Your connection is secure, your data is encrypted, and you can even spoof your location so you have access to content available outside of your region. It's no wonder that it's been called the best VPN by the folks over at CNET. So go to expressvpn.com connected, and you can get three extra months for free with ExpressVPN. That's exp R-E-S-S-V-P-N, expressvpn.com slash connected to get three extra months of ExpressVPN. Our thanks to ExpressVPN of their support of the show and Relay FM. So I wanted to close out this episode by telling you about how I had an epiphany this okay. week. A major, major realization in my life. Mm. Sort of a, a turning point. Uh, how, how how would you call it? Like when you when you just realize something, you're like, "Haha, yes, that's how I'm go- That's what I'm gonna do." Uh, so yeah, a, a really an epiphany. It was I was just staring at my desk, and very happy with my thoughts. I realized, yes, that's what I'm gonna do. That's the plan. I real I'm gonna start from the end of this, and then I'm gonna wor- walk my way backwards into explaining why. Okay. Soon, but not yet, <laughs> soon, I will buy an Apple Studio display. Okay. Let me explain how I got to this point. For months, we've been talking about this here on the show. I talked about it with John on App Stories, on, you know, uh, for a few months at this point. What I wanted from the new uh, sort of office space in this new room that we have at the new place that we own, I thought I wanted to have a slightly bigger desk with, you know, just about the same length, but maybe just a a, a bit deeper, because that's one of the things I don't like about my current desk is that it's very narrow. And I thought what I wanted was a gaming monitor. I thought I wanted a gaming monitor that I could use for both serious, you know, capital G gamer gaming, uh, you know, have refresh rate, <laughs> OLED quality if possible, you know, the real gamer stuff. But yeah. at the same time, a monitor that I could also use for work stuff. So serving the double p- 
purpose of when you want to play video games and you feel like a gamer, you're going to game on this thing. But when you're working on your MacBook Pro or your iPad Pro, the same monitor you can use for those with those devices. Makes sense. And for many months, for many months, I thought that. And I was talking to Silvia like, well, unfortunately, all these gaming monitors, they all kind of, you know, aesthetically speaking, they are all very sort of, uh, they have that white guy aesthetic, you know, <laughs> they're plasticky and they're not really tasteful and they have RGB lights. They're the monitors made for people who want to tell you about their monitors. Mm. Uh, and, and it's not exactly like I, I don't aspire to be that person, but yet if you want that kind of device in your life, that's, you know, the kind of cost you got to eat the aesthetic and the RGB lights usually, and they're very bulky and plasticky. Comes with the territory, I suppose. I, I said, well, I'm going to wait for Black Friday if there's a good deal or Cyber Monday, whatever they're calling it now. I'm going to wait. It's not a priority now anyway. We're buying all kinds of other furniture for the house. So that thing can wait. Come November, I'll think about it. But then, at the same time, as we have, you know, we've been assembling our living room, we finally found a couch that we like. We're still waiting for other furniture because let me tell you these days, any kind of furniture that you order, they tell you it's a two-month wait. Mm. So anyway, we're still waiting for many, many things. But something that I did was uh, I started using my gaming PC, the Corsair One that I have. It's a, it's a compact uh, sort of tower. Um, you know, desktop PC. Put that behind my TV. We have a new uh, LG 55-inch uh, uh, OLED TV. It's the C1 from 2021, I believe. OLED, 120 hertz refresh rate, HDMI 2.1, you know, all the all the things for, you know, uh, having a great picture quality and also uh, you can use it with a PS5 or a modern PC. And I've been playing video games. I talked about this on App Stories and on, on Unwind, I think. I've been playing PC games on the 4K TV uh, from the couch, and it's glorious because the one thing that I realized, uh, uh, like, I don't need to play at native 4K resolution because when you're sitting, like, two and a half meters away from the TV, it doesn't really matter. You can play at 1440p, and on PC, you can use these upscaling technologies like uh, NVIDIA DLSS or AMD's FSR to upscale your image, and it's still going to look great. I mean, from a distance, you're not really going to notice the drop in resolution. What you're going to notice, however, is the performance game gain. Because if you're playing, let's say, Cyberpunk, at 1440p instead of native 4K still looks great from two and a half meters away, but because of because the computer is pushing fewer pixels, you can get I don't know on my gaming PC I can get like 90 or 100 frames per second, and that you can absolutely see. So I've been playing that. I had this realization about dropping the resolution and still having a fantastic looking image on the TV, and also. On the couch, finally having a proper big enough couch, like I love it, and it's, it's so comfy, and it's 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 the th sort of what I always wanted to have, and also let me describe uh, as as a like what kind of person am I when I play video games? It's usually a night when you know I I'm, I can just play for a couple of hours before I go to sleep, or when Sylvia is not around. 
Because if Sylvia's around, I'm doing things with her. We're walking the dogs, we're going shopping, we're doing things around the house. Like, I'm not the kind of person who's going, I'm not the kind of guy who's like sitting on the couch playing with his PlayStation and be like, babe, can you give me a drink? Like, no, I'm not the kind of person. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know? I, Good. Uh, I'm, I'm, I've never been that kind of person. So my gaming time is mostly at night. And I love being in the living room by myself with my, you know, Philips Hue lights, you know, dimmed, set to purple or another, you know, uh, really nice color and just uh, playing by myself with the headphones on for a couple of hours. It's great. And, and so I was thinking about this a few days ago. I was like, why, why am I still thinking that I need a gaming monitor in the office too? If I'm going to play video games on the couch, it's so comfortable. The TV is 55 inches. It's big enough. I have my gaming PC there. I have a PlayStation 5 there. If for whatever reason the TV is not available or I don't want to play on the couch, I have a Nintendo Switch and I have a Steam Deck. On the Steam Deck, I can play both PC games and I can even remote play my PlayStation 5. And if, if the Steam Deck is still not enough, I also have a gaming laptop. <laughs> Like I have a, 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 a <laughs> gaming PC laptop with a 3080 right. inside. So like if I want to have really good graphics quality in a portable device and the Steam Deck is not enough, I have my gaming laptop. And so I thought, I don't need a gaming monitor on my desk. I need a monitor for work. And so I started researching all my options. And yes, uh, to answer Zach in the Discord, I do have more PCs than Macs. Yes, that is absolutely right. I have <laughs> one Mac, but I have uh, two gaming PCs. Yes, that is correct. So I started researching options for like, okay, that, now that I had this uh, you know, first, once I had the first half of the epiphany, which was I don't need a, a second, like I don't need a gaming monitor. I just need a work monitor. So I started looking into uh, regular monitors. So the research started was like, okay, OLED or non-OLED? Probably non-OLED because like if I'm going to use this as a work monitor and say leave, I don't know, mail open on the monitor or something, like I don't want to risk burn in for that time. You know, it, it's not really necessary to have OLED quality and I'm going to put reminders or Discord <laughs> on that monitor. So I can probably live without OLED for that display. Uh, promotion, like 120 hertz refresh rate. Is that important? It's nice to have, but possibly not essential. I am one of those people who tends to notice the high refresh rate more on smaller displays. I think the bigger the display, the less I care. Like I can absolutely see the difference hmm. on my iPhone and iPad, less so on my MacBook Pro. And I would imagine that the same would that the same would apply to an even bigger display. I knew that I didn't want to have uh, uh, anything above 30 inches for sure. Like all these displays, 32, 34, these ultra wide monitors. No, they're too big. I don't want to, I don't, I don't, I'm not like a, I'm not like a NASA engineer. I don't need to have this wild setup in front of me. I don't need a Bloomberg terminal on my desk. Like I'm, <laughs> I just, I just want to have an, like, I just want to have another space for windows essentially. I knew that it needed to be something that looked nice. 
you know, once I realized, oh, I don't need a gaming monitor. I don't need to be, you know, I don't need to have this this wild objects on my desk full of lights. I guess I can look for something nice. So I started looking for something nice. And then I knew that I needed to work reliably as much as possible with my iPad Pro, you know, considering that Stage Manager with external display support is coming out, and with my MacBook Pro. So I started looking, and then I realized, I guess what I want in my life is a, is an Apple Studio display, <laughs> because it's 27 inches. Okay. It's, you know, all things considered, it's probably going to be the display that's going to give me fewer headaches compared to other displays when it comes to compatibility with my iPad Pro and MacBook Pro. It looks very nice, and it's, you know, cost-wise, it's probably more expensive than other options, but it looks good, and it's made by Apple, and it's the kind of aesthetic I like, and I don't need, I don't want to deal with the complication of, you know, displays from third-party companies, they're not going to work right, or whatever, and so, yeah... I'm going to buy one, I think, for Black Friday, and I'm going to take advantage. Assuming that Apple does one of their coupon things that you buy a thing and you get, like, a gift card or something, I'm going to take advantage of that. Mm -hmm. That's the plan, I think. The only thing where I'm still undecided is the stand, like, what, which stand I want. Because the display, I think I want to have the regular display. I don't need to have the Nano Texture one. The stand, I'm not sure if I want to have the height adjustable one or just the, what's it called, tilt, like the horizontal angle thing. Because you can choose, right? Yeah. You, you can choose between two stands. One that is also height adjustable and the other isn't. That's right. Maybe I'm going to go for the one that is not height adjustable. I think it's a good move. I mean... You like you said, the gaming is elsewhere, and you, you need to optimize for what's on your desk and what you use every day for work. I think I maybe would consider the more expensive stand. It's pretty mm. low. I mean, I feel like most people who have the default stand or like have an iMac end up putting it on something. And so maybe if you have like a shelf or a riser, you're going to use, you're okay. But I think long term, you're going to want that display a little bit higher than the default. I'll trust you. I'll, I'll get if you say if you see if, if you're saying that it's pretty low. And then I'm going to regret that I, I, because I think it's like 500 more or something mm -hmm. together. Well, all right. But also it's the kind of display that I want to buy once and not think about this for years to come. So, yeah, I guess uh, yeah. I'll, get the, I'll get the height adjustable one. But, yeah, that's the plan. So in a, in a, in a few weeks, hopefully, when, when is Black Friday? Like uh, 20 days from now or something. It's coming up. Yeah, it's coming up in three weeks. So, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll get one and uh, I will report back on the show. In terms of how it goes. But yeah, the dream is to have the display always on the desk and then swap in the device I need, whether it's the MacBook Pro or the iPad Pro. And probably have a dock in the middle, like a Thunderbolt dock. Uh, I'm still mm -hmm. not sure about this or not, but yeah, that's the plan. Uh, have a fixed display and then swap in the computer that I'm using at the moment. It's mostly going to be the iPad Pro. Uh, the MacBook Pro I'm just going to use when I record podcasts. So yeah, I'm I'm very excited about about having realized this, having decided this, and uh, now I, I really cannot wait because I think that display looks super nice, and I, and I'm I've been I've been uh, readjusting my desk in preparation for it. I'm using a portable monitor that I already had uh, to sort of see if I actually like this, and I can confirm that I do. Uh, I have this portable 
monitor that I actually want to sell. Uh, not the Seaforce one, by the way, not the not the gaming OLED one that I have. It's another one that I'm that I'm selling, but I'm using it as a test, and it works. I really like having two monitors: one either the iPad Pro, the MacBook Pro, and the other off on the left uh, side. Really works for me. I have Discord on the external monitor right now, and uh, so yeah, I'll, I'll do this and I will report back. All right. Well, if you want to find links to stuff we spoke about, head on over to the website, relay.fm slash connected slash 422. There you can get in touch. There's an email link there in the sidebar. Send us feedback or follow up. You can also become a member, get Connected Pro, which is a longer ad-free version of the show each and every week. You can find us online. You can find uh, Mike. He hosts a bunch of shows here on Relay FM. Mike will be back next week. Uh, remember to send him the package, uh, the box emoji in uh, on Twitter. Like you would like that. He's I-M-Y-K-E over there. Mm-hmm. Federico is the editor-in-chief of MacStories.net, uh, the host of App Stories and a bunch of other shows. You can find me on Mac Power Users, and I write over at 512pixels.net. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Squarespace, Hover, and ExpressVPN. Until next time, Federico, say goodbye. Arrivederci. Bye, y'all.